This is day 26 of our daily Bible reading. We will be going through Numbers chapters 9 through 13 today. Lord Heavenly Father, you are our leader. You are sovereign over your creation. You know everything that is happening to us. You know everything that it will happen in our past, present, and future. You know all things, and you are present in all things. We thank you, Lord, for being a powerful God that cares for us so much. Please lead us in your scripture today, that we may learn from it, and we may apply it to our lives today. Please bless this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thus the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the first month of the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Now, let the sons of Israel observe the Passover at its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, at twilight, you shall observe it at its appointed time. You shall observe it according to all its statutes and according to all its ordinances. So Moses took the sons of Israel to observe the Passover. They observed the Passover in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the sons of Israel did. But there were some men who were unclean because of the dead person, so that they could not observe Passover on that day. So they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. Those men said to him, Though we are unclean because of the dead person, why are we restrained from participating in the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the sons of Israel? Moses therefore said to them, Wait, and I will listen to what the Lord will command concerning you. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, if any of you or of your generations becomes unclean because of a dead person or is on a distant journey, he may, however, observe the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the fourteenth day at twilight, they shall observe it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break a bone of it. According to all the statute of the Passover, they shall observe it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey, and yet neglects to observe the Passover, that person shall then be cut off from his people. For he did not present the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man will bear his sin. If an alien sojourns among you, and observes the Passover to the Lord, according to the statute of the Passover, and according to its ordinance, so he shall do. You shall have one statute, both for the alien and for the native of the land. Now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously, 
the cloud would cover it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, they remained camped. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. If sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, when the cloud was lifted in the morning, they would move out. Or if it remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. Whether it was two days, or a month, or a year, that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped, and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. At the command of the Lord they camped, and at the command of the Lord they set out. They kept the Lord's charge, according to the command of the Lord through Moses. The Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, Make yourself two trumpets of silver, of hammered work, you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camps set out. When both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Yet if only one is blown, then the leaders the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall assemble before you. But when you blow an alarm, the camps that are pitched on the east side shall set out. When you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are pitched on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be blown for them to set out. When convening the assembly, however, you shall blow without sounding an alarm. The priestly sons of Aaron, moreover, shall blow the trumpets, and this shall be for you a perpetual statute throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness, and in your appointed feasts, and on the first days of the months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be as a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Now in the second year, in the second month, on the twentieth of the month, the cloud was lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the sons of Israel set out on their journeys from the wilderness of Sinai. 
Then the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they moved out for the first time according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses. The standard of the camp of the sons of Judah, according to their armies, set out first, with Nashan, the son of Aminadab, over its army, and Nethanel, the son of Zuar, over the tribal army of the sons of Issachar, and Eliab, the son of Helan, over the tribal armies of the sons of Zebulun. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari, who were carrying the tabernacle, set out. Next, the standard of the camp of Reuben, according to their armies, set out with Elizur, the son of Shadur, over its army, and Shelemiel, the son of Zerishadai, over the tribal army of the sons of Simeon, and Eliaseph, the son of Duel, was over the tribal army of the sons of Gad. Then the Kohathites set out, carrying the holy objects, and the tabernacle was set up before their arrival. Next, the standard of the camp of the sons of Ephraim, according to their armies, was set out, with Elishama, the son of Amihud, over its army, and Gamaliel, the son of Pedajur, over the tribal army of the sons of Manasseh, and Abidon, the son of Gideoni, over the tribal army of the sons of Benjamin. Then the standard of the camp of the sons of Dan, according to their armies, which formed the rear guard for all the camps, set out, with Ahiazer, the son of Amishadai, over its army, and Pagiel, the son of Okran, over the tribal army of the sons of Asher, and Ahira, the son of Anan, over the tribal army of the sons of Naphtali. This was the order of march of the sons of Israel by their armies as they set out. Then Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are setting out to the place of which the Lord said, I will give you. Come with us, and we will do you good, for the Lord has promised good concerning Israel. But he said to him, I will not come, but rather will go to my own land and relatives. Then he said, Please do not leave us, inasmuch as you know where we should camp in the wilderness, and you will be as eyes for us. So it will be, if you go with us, that whatever good the Lord does for us, we will do good to you. Thus they set out from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them for the three days, to seek out a resting place for them. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Then it came about when the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, and let your armies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. When it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the myriad thousands of Israel.
Now, the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Tabera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bedellum. The people would go about and gather it, and grind it between two millstones, or beat it in the mortar, and boil it in a pot, and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. And Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all these all this people? Was it I who brought them forth, that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people, because it is too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you, and will put him upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it all alone. Say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat, for you have wept to the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. 
Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat, not one day, not two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am are six hundred thousand on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat, so that they may eat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them, to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them, to be sufficient for them? The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true to you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. Also he gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and sanctioned them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and he took of the Spirit who was upon him and placed him upon the seventy elders. And when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered, but had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the people of the Lord were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Then Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. The people spent all day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatah Avah, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. From Kibroth Hatah Avah, the people set out for Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth.
Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three, come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us, in which we have acted foolishly, and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, O God, heal her, I pray. And the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again. Afterward, however, the people moved out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. These then were their names, from the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. 
from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi, from the tribe of Joseph, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali, from the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vofsi, from the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Maki. These are the names of the men whose Moses sent to spy out the land. But Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country, see what the land looks like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab at Lebo Hamath. When they had gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two men, with some of the pomegranates and the figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, because of the cluster which the sons of Israel cut down from there. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of forty days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran, at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied, saying, 
The land through which we have gone in, spying it out, is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed today's reading. There's some really good conversation and really good events that happened here. So in chapter 9, we see that the first Passover in the wilderness has taken place. And that marks that they have been out there at Sinai for almost a full year at the foot of that mountain. So it's interesting that it, they stayed in that one place for so long. And then you see at the second half of the chapter, after the Passover, that they were led by God. Whenever God led them, they moved. If the cloud went up, they went up. When the cloud stayed, they stayed. And they kept watch on the Lord. And that is definitely language that applies to us. The Lord should be who leads us into all things. We should not do anything without his permission, or at the very least, even in split-second moments, we should be inquiring on him, or just asking him what his will is for us. Do we include God in our everyday lives and in our everyday decisions? We really should, because that's what he desires for us. And that is a sign of spiritual maturity, that the Lord is actively involved in your life because you let him in. You let him lead you by the hand. So that's part of what Paul also talks about in the New Testament, about praying without ceasing. That idea that we never stop praying. Now, we're not talking about you're constantly day in and day out on your on your knees before the Lord, which sounds very nice, but that's not realistic. But what we're talking about here is a posture of heart where, you know, you're whispering prayers to the Lord throughout the day, inviting him into the daily stuff. For example, if you're driving to work and you just notice a sunrise or you notice just how pretty things are, you know, you say, Lord, thank you for this. This is so pretty. We, you know, I, I'm admiring your creation, and thank you, Lord, for creating everything. Or you're at work, and there's a hard situation going on. You don't know what to do. Then you pray for the Lord real quick in the moment. Lord, please help me to find a good decision for this, some a way that would honor you. Or when things are going well, Lord, thank you so much for taking care of this situation. You see, and, and that's what we mean by praying without ceasing, just inviting God into our lives, even the, the small things. And we have a bad habit of doing that, don't we? We have a bad habit of trusting God with the big stuff, right? Like our eternal destination of our souls. We trust that God will take us to heaven. But do we trust him to live paycheck by paycheck? Do we trust him to get us home safely? Do we trust him that 
he's going to take care of us throughout our our day? Do we trust that he knows what's best for us? We need to challenge ourselves that way because that's how God led the Israelites and that's how he wants to lead you. So invite him into these things today. Then we go to chapter 10 and it talks about how the um, they made the trumpets in order to lead the people and they, however they blew them in a certain way told them what was meant to happen. And then they began their march away from Sinai. And as they did that, then they followed the same order that was already laid out for them by the order of their camps. And, and then you see this very odd part here at, near the end of chapter 10, where he talks to Hobab, the son of Ruel the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. And I thought he had another father-in-law. Wasn't it Jethro? So uh, that was a little confusing, but also, apparently Hobab was his brother-in-law because Ru, uh, Ruel the Midianite is Moses' father-in-law. So this is so Hobab is not his father-in-law; it is his brother-in-law. Now it doesn't say whether or not that he agreed to go with them, but apparently he did because his people. Um, the Midianite people, also known as the Kenites, were the ones that settled in Canaan, so he must have gone with them. You'll see here in a minute that some of the stuff that his that Moses' father-in-law had taught him about, you know, using governors and leaders within the people, seemed to not be happening again. So we'll see what happens there. So in ch chapter eleven. More complaining. And this is exactly what we talked about a few weeks ago. Remember, the things of Egypt. Longing for the things of Egypt. The Israelites are a redeemed people. They're saved from the oppression of Egypt. And yet, in their frustrations, in their hardships, they remembered the things of Egypt. Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish that we ate freely in Egypt. Really? That's exactly how you ate fish? Freely? As you were getting whipped in the back by a taskmaster? Oh, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. And we have nothing at all to look at except this manna. This stinking manna. They craved all this food, which, I mean, I can understand to some degree that they missed certain foods, you know, okay. But then they were talking bad about the manna. And do you remember how it was described? Because it has it described here. It says that it was the taste of coriander. And that it had the taste of cakes baked with oil. That's a good thing. And yet they were so ungrateful. God made it rain manna on the ground every morning. Every morning without fail. To provide for these people. And they are just complaining about heavenly bread. That tasted amazing. So obviously 
the Lord was very angry with them because he's like, you, you guys, like, I do everything for you. I'm leading you by the hand. I'm giving you food. I'm giving you everything you need, and it's still not enough for you. So then they continue to cry and complain, and, and then Moses was getting upset. And he was, but you see in the order in which things happened, like it says here in, in verse 10, it says that uh, when Moses heard the weeping of the families, uh, the anger of the Lord was kindled, and then Moses was displeased. He was displeased that God was upset. That should be our proper posture. The things that make God upset should make us upset. The things that God hates, we should be hating. The things that God loves, we should love. And he's like, why have you given me such a burden, Lord God? Who, was it I who, was who had conceived all these people? Was it me who brought them forth? So why do I have so much responsibility? Where am I supposed to get meat for these people? If, I, if you're going to deal with me, Lord, just kill me, because I've done everything I can, and if I'm no good to you, just take me away. But the Lord had compassion on him, and they summoned the 70 elders who took of his spirit and put them in upon them. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell upon these 70 men. And it says what happened here. It said that they prophesied. Now, we have to be very careful with this word prophesy. Because there's two times in the Bible, two ways, rather, that the, this word is used. It does include telling the future, yes. But what is prophecy in reality? A prophet is a messenger of God, someone who speaks as a representative of God. So, a mouthpiece, if you will. So, sometimes... It's not necessarily things that are happening in the future. Sometimes, like for example, when it says that the Lord spoke to Moses and said this, then Moses said what God told him, right? That's prophecy as well. It's a word from the Lord. So if you want to be technical, your pastor is also a prophet in some way. When your, when your pastor is speaking from the word of God and he is giving scripture, then he is also prophesying as well. He is relaying the word of the Lord through the Bible, and that is a form of prophecy. So it's hard to say here what kind of prophesying they were doing, if they were just saying the word from the Lord or if they were indeed telling the future. But just to be clear, there are two distinct kinds of prophecy mentioned in the Bible. Now, so you see as God's sense of humor a little bit, as well as just, you guys want meat that badly? Here you go. I'm going to give you so much meat that you're going to be sick of it. <laughs> I love that. The Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. And you shall eat not one day, two days, five days, ten days, twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. I, I don't know why, but it just tickles me. It really makes, I see God's sense of humor in it to where he's like, all right, you want meat? 
I'll give you meat. I'm going to give you so much meat that you're going to know it's my power, and you're going to be so sick of this meat by the time you're done with it. You're going to regret even complaining. And then I love how Moses did not understand how that was going to happen at first. He didn't know he was going to bring quail, a cloud of quail, like a multitude of quail. And he's like, what are we going to do? Are we just going to eat all the fish in the ocean? Are we going to, you know, kill all our animals to eat? What are we going to do, Lord? And then the Lord reminds him of who he is. Is the Lord's power limited? Is anything too hard for me? Right? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. The answer is, yes, it will. The word of the Lord always comes to pass. Everything the Lord says is true. And we should never doubt that. Because that's who he is. He is faithful and true. We have to have a proper understanding of who he is in order to have the proper reverence and respect for him. So he brought the quail, like he promised, and the people spent all day and night gathering, and the smallest one was 10 homers, which um, a homer was a decent amount. I, I don't have the exact measurement in front of me, but a homer was a decent amount of uh, weight. So they had a huge amount of meat just like God said. And then it says, while the meat was still between their teeth, the Lord sent a plague to the ones that were being super greedy. And that's why that place was called Kibroth Hatah Avah, which literally means the graves of craving, graves of greed, if you will. The carnality of that sends us to our graves. And I heard a sermon about that once, about, you know, that's that's our sinful nature speaking here. We crave death. We really do. Because if we understand that the wages of sin is death, and the things of this world are sin, then we're craving death. And we're sending ourselves to a grave. But thank the Lord God that he has saved us from that. And then we see chapter 12, where Miriam and Aaron, even the leaders, even Moses' own siblings, don't have his back all the time. And this is showing that Moses and Aaron are complaining about Moses' wife not being an Israelite herself. Because of, remember, he ran away from Egypt and he married Zipporah. They were just jealous. The Lord defended Moses. And it said that now Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And that's a beautiful thing to see because that shows Moses' proper attitude in the service of God. You should not be someone who is arrogant nor someone who is proud because that is obviously not a healthy sign. But Moses was humble in what he did. He had reached his full potential and led these people 
with a sacrificial servant heart. And that is what we need to be as well. And he's like, then he tells um, Aaron and Miriam in front of Moses that, hear my words if there's a prophet among you, because I will speak in dreams, I will speak in visions to your normal people, but I don't do that with Moses. Moses and I are so close, and he is so faithful to me that I speak to him openly, mouth to mouth, face to face. And he beholds the form of the Lord. He doesn't use, I don't use riddles with him. I don't use, you know, parables with him. I don't do any of that. I just speak plainly to Moses and he obeys me. And yet you guys are complaining and jealous of him. But look at the attitude, Aaron. Look at his, look at your attitude, Miriam. He's humble. He has submitted his will to me, and you have not. That is why he is up here, and you are down here. And so, if he has followed his patterns with other people, they deserve to die. But because of his covenant, that Aaron and his sons would be the high priests forever, and he seemed to have mercy on Miriam as well because of being um, the sibling of Moses. She had leprosy. She was out for a while, and then apparently it was cured from her. But it was a hard lesson for them, and I'm glad it didn't end in death for them. Then we have chapter 13, where we enter the land. The 12 spies, pretty famous part of scripture. The 12 spies go in and they survey the land after 40 days. So they come back and they give a factual report. The land is fruitful. The cities are fortified. The population is mixed. You know, they all had the same facts. You know, look at the size of these grapes. They were so big that we had to carry them on poles. I mean, that's are some big grapes. And even today, that area, um, according to my study Bible, Eshkol, is still well known for its grapes. So that abundance is still there in that area. But we know that those two men out of the 12, Caleb and Joshua, were trusting the Lord, and the other ones did not. Because look at how they responded here. Chapter 13, beginning verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take it. We will surely overcome it, because they had faith. That was the one thing those other guys did not. They did not have faith in God. And we're going to see in the chapters to come that this report from the spies is pivotal to the nation. This is what decided whether the Lord was going to have them wander in the wilderness for 40 years or not. And they failed. Caleb and Joshua, you're going to see it later, that the only old men that go into the land of Canaan are Caleb and Joshua, the only faithful ones. All the other older men are going to die before they enter the land. So all this generation that is complaining and not having faith in the Lord 
is going to die, and you're going to see him proclaim this the next time. But what else were they afraid of besides just, you know, the fortified cities? They were saying that they were the sons of Anak and the Nephilim. Those sound familiar, don't they? At least the Nephilim. The Nephilim, you do go back to the book of Genesis and you talk about before the flood, you had the giants, the men of renown, the warriors of old. These were giant men. And this is not a myth. Giant men were real back then. And, I mean, we have found fossils of skeletons that were 9, 10 feet tall. This is not an uncommon thing at this time of, of civilization. I don't think they exist today, to my knowledge, and they have not for some time, but there was a period of time where there were giant men. And those were called the sons of Anak, or the Anakim, which we'll see later. But the Nephilim are also uh, mentioned in here. And if we recall, the Nephilim are the hybrid between angels and human beings. And I still don't understand how angels are able to reproduce, but somehow they are uh, with humans. But uh, somehow that genetic... Uh, makeup it carried on through Noah. Noah may have been a giant himself, for all we know. That genetic line continues to carry throughout the generations after Noah. So that's why we have Nephilim. So very interesting, though, we are like grasshoppers compared to him. We, they're huge and they're powerful. We are just puny weaklings. They have a lot to learn, and things are going to get real heated tomorrow at the very end of chapter 14. So look forward to what the Lord is going to listen to and how the Lord is going to respond to it, which will certainly be a lesson for us. Do not put the Lord to the test. Do not challenge him. He knows exactly what he's doing. He asks us to simply have faith in him. But that's it for today. I'm Ryan. Thank you for listening, and we will see you tomorrow. Take care, and God bless you.